family. Now, we've made it out of the minor prophets. You thought we'd be stuck there forever. Let's be honest. But we've made it across the 400 year silence gap as well. And we've hit, and you thought we were going into Matthew. We're not going into Matthew, we're going into Mark. There's a reason for that. I'll spare you all the excruciating details, but it is almost universally understood that Mark was the earliest of the four Gospels that we have, the surviving. Now, it wasn't the earliest Gospel. Probably there were other Gospels before then, and certainly Luke says that there were several Gospels available when he wrote his, but Mark is where we start for a couple of reasons. By the way, one of the, you want to talk about reading back and forth and such? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels because they generally cover the same material. However, Matthew and Luke only agree about events in sequence when they both agree with Mark, which indicates that they both had Mark as they wrote their gospels. See how into the weeds and nerdy and geekdom this can get? But it's fun if you're a nerdy, weedy geek, and so you know who you are. Luke, in particular, used Mark as one of his sources, but he also used Mary as one of his sources. Mary, because he gets material only she would have. Certain prayers, certain interchanges with Jesus that only Mary would have. And then Mark, because, well, maybe a little bit something you hadn't noticed before, every time Mark, every time Luke, rather, is mentioned in the New Testament, Mark is mentioned too. They were very close. They worked together. Mark is not history in a traditional sense. And this is something I have to explain to atheists whenever I work with them. They'll try to, try to impose our ideas of writing history upon the Gospels. And they'll say, That's, it's, he's not writing history. It's a story of what happened when God showed up. I mean, it was 400 years after Malachi. After a while, you quit looking. After a while, you keep wondering, rather you quit wondering when he's going to show up, and you start wondering if he's going to show up. 400 years of silence, there were a lot of opinions about what God would be like if he eventually showed up. But the reality did not correspond to any of their expectations. This was new. This was different. I visited with a rabbi a week and a half ago up in Ohio, and talking, I wanted, to, I wanted to broach this subject, but you don't do this first meeting. What, what were you waiting for? Are you waiting for anything now? What do you expect him to be like when he shows up? Many people didn't like Jesus when he showed up. Next week in particular, we're going to talk about getting a present, and, it, and not, that's really not what you were going for, because that's what Jesus was. This week, we're going to talk about the unexpected God, this is not the God we were expecting, but he's, wow. I mean, Mark, I love Mark, because he shows Jesus, this God that shows up, as a heroic man of action. Who wouldn't like that? He's an exorcist, chapter one, twice. He's a healer. He's a miracle worker. He confronts people. He upsets society. He Not only does he rattle cages, but he rattles them quite a bit and then opens them and lets people free. He keeps his identity secret. He does. Even from his closest friends, he doesn't tell. And he talks in parables so that those that follow him don't get who he is very quickly. He's a man of mystery, man of action, a man who's an iconoclast. He will tear up the standard things that are going about. That's the God who showed up. And that's, 
And then the way he ends it, it's like a cereal. No, not like a breakfast cereal. It's like some of you, even as old as I am, I'm not this old, but some of your grandparents will tell you about cereals at the movies. You'd go to the movies, and there'd be a little short movie. It might be about Buck Rogers, or it might be a, a Western or the like, but they would, they would go in very short, and they'd always end on a cliffhanger, and it was called that because many of them ended with people actually hanging on a cliff, and oh, will they die? Well, you have to come back next week to see, right? And so you'd go and see. Uh, by the way, <laughs> Westerns are, were huge in Scotland in the 60s and 70s. All these wee Scottish boys were walking around swaggering, right, saying, I'm going to be a cowboy. They, no, none of us. Anyway, we always hoped. <laughs> Never happened. But he, Mark ends his book with a to be continued. Later on, people added a bit to the end of Mark. Now, if you go in your Bibles, you'll see that it's noted that the last bit doesn't show up in any of the oldest manuscripts. Why? Well, I think some people didn't like the be, to be continued nature of Mark, where it is like, and then he was in a grave, and he goes quiet. It's a, to be continued. And some of the early Christians wrote, and I believe what they wrote was true and accurate, and I don't have a problem with it, but it wasn't Mark. Put at the end, and he came out of the grave. And, and then he said, and did great things to them. Well, he did, but the other gospels covered that. Mark was going for the, the surprise. The secret hero comes, does great things. He struggles with us. He turns loose great forces. He goes into the grave, and something's about to happen next. That's his story. And it was a great story because the early church was struggling with this. Every generation has thought theirs was the last. Everyone. Every generation has had many prophets saying, well, we've read the Bible, and it's very plain. If you do the math, we're the last generation. Every single one, including the first Christian generation. Paul thought so too. He thought, so any moment now, in fact, he had to tell the Thessalonians, no, don't stop working. Go ahead and keep working. And they just stopped saying, well, he'll be around any minute. He said, no, keep working, but he will show up soon. Every generation has thought. Rome looked at all this and thought it had won because Jesus died. He, they heard the stories of the resurrection, but even if he had resurrected, he was gone now. So they thought, well, we win the early church wondered, did we lose? And so Mark writes the story of Jesus. It's really a series of stories, scenes, vignettes, for lack of a better term, showing God breaking into history. History in a, and here's a great word that you Lipscomb people will hear 5,000 times from John Mark Hicks, eschatological. It's, it's about the end of time. It's about apocalypse. It's about changing everything. But God doesn't do it the way we do it. We do it by literally shattering everything, dropping bombs on it. God does it by changing hearts and bringing us into the story. Why didn't Mark finish the story? Because the story's not finished. We're continuing it. We're the to-be-continued serial of the life of Jesus Christ. So Mark writes to a Gentile audience. We know that, by the way. He doesn't say, I'm writing to a Gentile audience. But he, we know that because he had to explain Jewish terms. 
he would, he would talk about a feast and then explain what it was. Jews didn't need to know that. And he also borrowed Latin terms and brought those in to help Romans understand it somewhat better. But his source for the material, where did he get his material? He wasn't one of the apostles. His real name was John Mark. Where he didn't, how did he get it? He got it from Peter. Not from Paul. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So it's kind of surprising that the, the gospel written to the Gentiles was written by the guy that followed Peter around. Peter's all over this book, and he's missing at interesting times. Now just watch the way we do this. Peter is the first and last named disciple in Mark. Peter is mentioned more than any other disciple in Mark. Peter appears in the most important scenes in Mark. If you're telling your story, that's the way that works. Peter was a fisherman, and of the four Gospels, how about this for getting into the weeds? Mark has the highest percentage of references to boats, the Sea of Galilee, and fishing. It, Peter is all over this. And there's even that odd little story of the healing of Peter's mother-in-law that shows up in Mark only. Remember that one? Chapter 1, Jesus is, is at Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick, so Peter, uh, Jesus heals her, and then she gets up, and she's back to work. And that's all we know about it. And that's an odd story just to plug in there with no backup and nobody else to tell the story. I think it's in there to show the grace and, and love of Jesus Christ. Because if he will just willy-nilly, not even hesitate, heal a mother-in-law. <laughs> there's a God of love for you right there. Peter is all over. And, and by the way, I want to talk about Peter for a minute. It's easy to make Peter into a cartoon. It is. Because he was always quick with his mouth, quick to run into problems, quick to stick his foot in his mouth, quick to argue with Jesus, quick to get in the wrong place at the wrong time and say the wrong thing. But he was not a buffoon. He was us. He was every man, as we'd call him in the writing profession. He was every man. He was a symbol of who we are. That's who we are. You ever gotten your foot in your mouth? You ever been too quick with your sword, with your mouth, with your feet, with your ideas, with your judgment? Absolutely. Peter's portrayal in Mark is that of a prototypical disciple. This is just who we are. Someone who does not, and here's the key who does not correctly perceive Jesus because he's looking at him from a pre-Easter perspective. Do you get what I mean by that? There hadn't been a resurrection. Remember, Peter didn't go to Bible school. He didn't sing songs about the resurrection. He didn't see Easter stories. He didn't have all the, the he didn't know any of this. That was pre-Easter world and Peter lived in it. No wonder he had problems with some things Jesus said. You've been waiting 400 years for, for God and he comes down and he goes, well, I'm going to die pretty soon. You're going to argue with him, saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way this is supposed to work. He was us. When Peter tells stories, by the way, in the book of Mark, the stories aren't told the same way. They're told the other stories. Have you noticed that we, have, we like to tell our stories in a different way? The worst, and any police officer will tell you, the worst witnesses are eyewitnesses. Because we always reconstruct what we saw and change it and filter it. 
And you might say, well, not me. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We all do. When Peter tells his stories, there are differences. And we could have done about a dozen differences here. I just put up a couple for you here. His shame at the miraculous catch in Mark chapter 1 compared to Luke. In Mark chapter 1, he's not ashamed. In Luke, he was. But again, Peter's telling a story. And then Peter really said some foolish things in Mark chapter 5 to Jesus. But it's, he's not identified as saying foolish things. In Luke, he is. This is Peter's story. And I'm all right with letting him try to cover a little bit of his embarrassment, aren't you? Why not? Let him tell his story his way. My father tells me stories all my life, and they keep getting more interesting. In the Korean War, evidently, he was captured a POW, shot several times, which is fascinating because they never let him leave New Jersey. I've seen the military records. That's not how that works, Dad. But I don't correct him. I just go, wow, Dad, great for you. You know, I wish they'd turn you loose over there again. You know, that would sort it out. The amount of time my mother's been in labor with me has grown every year of my life. <laughs> We're up to about a month and a half right now. <laughs> and I don't, I don't fight her. This is Peter's story told to us by Mark. And I, for one, am so very grateful that Peter, through Mark, introduces us to the God who shows up. Because Peter, as a man like me, is the perfect person to tell me about Jesus and to tell me things that others won't tell me about Jesus. You see, we tend to worship a Christ who, like the ancient hymn, was gentle son of gentle woman. He carried a lamb. He pats kids on the head. He's always sweet, always thoughtful, always nice. He's an emasculated savior. He's a feminine Christ. He's the eternal sweet man. We've tamed Jesus. We've domesticated him. We've made him a cartoon. But that's not the God that shows up in Mark. Did you read Mark? There are certain things in Mark that don't show up, words that don't show up in the other Gospels. Peter brings them up. Jesus gets angry. Have you ever been told, don't be angry? Really? Jesus got angry. He looked upon the fault finders with anger. Watch it, fault finders. He was indignant with his disciples. We don't think of, of Jesus getting indignant, do we? He did, but only in Mark. He cleared the temple. We'll talk more about that in a bit. The follow me is actually an order. He didn't go up to them and say, you know, let's negotiate this. He walked up to people and said, you, me, now, let's go. We don't, we don't expect Jesus to treat people like that. He tells demons to shut up, and yes, he does. I know the NIV and some of the other versions will say, be quiet and come out of him. The words are shut up and get out. That's our God. Yay. Mark chapter 5, he throws people out of a room to heal a child and then strictly ordered them, that's code words, to keep quiet about it. You, know, you will not talk about this. And I'm going, 
What? He and Peter get into an argument. Fair enough. He never loses control, by the way. He didn't kill Peter, which if you were God, you could have. But he didn't. He gets exasperated. I love that word in Mark. He gets exasperated with a crowd. By the way, preachers love that verse because it means that we're okay. And wonders how much longer he has to put up with him. And you probably love that part of the verse. He curses a fig tree. Oh, I asked my teachers questions about that when I was a boy. They were saying, well, it doesn't mean curse. It meant he was disappointed because he was hungry. It, it means curse. My teachers were very nice ladies. They were, trying to, they were trying to defend what God had done. Go ahead, just tell us. He looked up. He wanted figs, didn't get figs, and he cursed. I'm not saying you're allowed to curse, kids. Unless you had your heart set on figs. Then we have a biblical example. <laughs> now, we're going to actually look at... at we, are we are going to look? We have that verse. Yes, great. Uh, Mark chapter 11. Look at this. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. By the way, stop right there, indicating that while he was here, Jesus was God, yes, but he was also man, because if he was just all God, he would have known there was no fruit. Isn't that interesting? Then when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Stop again. There weren't supposed to be any figs there. He didn't know horticulture. I'm, I appreciate this. This discomforts some people. They're going, ooh, he didn't, I, that, that, no. He wasn't a tree guy. He was a carpenter. He made stuff out of dead trees. But he was also the son of God. How did that work? Nobody knows. All right. He said to the tree, uh, again. <laughs> he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Another, basically, we, again, we tarted that up and made it so sweet. It's basically, right, you're done as a tree. <laughs> I've had enough of you, tree. And the disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, he was already not in a good mood. It was a figless day. <laughs> Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He went to church and started driving people out. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches, those selling doves. By the way, John would bring up that he actually made a whip to help him do it. We have no indication he ever struck a person, by the way, or that he ever lost his temper. It, this is more like, no, I've had enough of this. And he clears them out. And the benches, those, now, the, here's the verse 16 that I've never heard anybody talk about. He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. That means he went and physically blocked people and said, you're not getting past me. Friends, I, I'm not strong enough to be a pacifist. I have great respect for pacifists. I know several, and I love them. Some of them are up at Lipscomb, and I, I look upon them as my, my theological heroes. I really do. But I'm not strong enough to be a pacifist. And when I read Mark, I don't have to be a pacifist. I can block a doorway. Well, not me. I'm kind of wee. But um, 
he was probably bigger than me. He made stuff. So I, I, can, I can say that's enough. No, you're not getting through here. Jesus was tougher than we give him credit for. You've got to remember something. The temple had a police force. And they were the elite. And it was their job to make sure nobody disrupted anything. And they didn't dare mess with him. That's the Jesus that shows up. That's not the God we expected. We thought we'd get this white guy shining a bit, carrying a, a little lamb. We got this. And as he taught them, he said, we'll finish this up, is it not written, my house, and he called this his house, will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priest and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When the evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the city. In the morning, as they went along, they, found, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Well, how do you like the God you got? I actually am so grateful for this God. I don't need a weak God. Especially now. Especially in our world. I need a strong God. Here's a quick question. If Jesus was merely loving, compassionate, and kind, if Jesus was only, in a word, nice, why did the religious and political leaders of the day decided they would be best for society if we kill this guy? That's an interesting question. They felt compelled to murder him. It might be best to consider if we're really supposed to be the religion of niceness or if we're supposed to be the religion of love. Love doesn't always feel right because it's not always about feelings. It's about decision and action. It's about facts. It's about movement. God decided to love us. And we do. Not, it would be blasphemy to consider God up there all moon-eyed about us, writing us valentines and, and bad poetry and carving his initials in a tree, probably a dead fig tree, next to ours. Nobody envisions God that way. That's not God. We just sang about God on thunder and riding in the storm. Love required that God come back to us after that silence. But when he showed up, he sent Jesus and said, that's what I look like. Get to know him. Mark presents this hero, and he's a hero. He's a real man. Loving, strong, unpredictable, forceful, insistent, and utterly fearless. But also a suffering servant who would take the pain so that you and I don't have to take the pain. Mark again and again refers to Jesus as suffering. Not only the indignant, not only the anger, but as suffering on behalf of us. The Romans thought they'd won when they killed him. But just as Mark finished his story, this is a cliffhanger. This story continues. It continues in the next generation, then in the next generation, then in the next generation. And while John would later say, there's not enough paper in the world to write down everything Jesus did, that was true in that day and age. But today there's not enough paper to write down everything his people have done. 
because we've kept the story going. The story did not end when Mark stopped writing. That wasn't what he was trying to say. He was trying to say, it's your turn. Thought about using a video clip here, but I'm not. Not, not going to do it. Uh, and I didn't give it up to these guys anyway. There's, there was an old comedy uh, team that many of you will remember, the younger ones will not, called the Smothers Brothers. And what they did was they kind of spoofed the folk music movement that was going about and very powerful at the time. And one of, during one of the songs, one of them, I keep forgetting who's Dick and who's Tom, but one of them goes to the other and says, take it, and he didn't take it. But you're supposed to take it. And the whole thing was, no, there's the rule, the folk music rule is if I say take it, you've got to take it. Now you've got to step up and do. And it's a, it's a funny thing, but I thought of that several times this week as I read the ending of Mark thinking, God's looking at us and saying, take it. Your turn. Tell this story. Move it along. Our other Mark, our own resident Mark. We have so many Marks here. Our own resident. Would you bring up your team, please? The greatest tragedy would be to reject the God who is because we'd rather wait and hope for the God we want. Would you stand, please? Remember what the book of Hebrews says. Jesus is what God looks like. He is the express image of God. Read Mark and realize you are reading what God is like. This is what God looks like, and he is more complicated than any stained glass window, and that's really important because the very God we need to get us through a world of ISIS, war, pain, accident is a strong God, and that's the God who came.